from Isaiah. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. One of the adventures in my life that definitely ranks in top adventures ever in my whole life is hiking the West Coast Trail. Summer seems like a good time for a uh, backpacking sermon. The West Coast Trail hugs the southwestern edge of Vancouver Island, B.C., from Bamfield at the north end to Port Renfrew on the south end. It's a 75-kilometer stretch. That's 47 miles for those of us south of the border. 47 miles of a backpacker's dream. Google research indicates that it has been rated the best hike in the world by besthike.com every single year since 1999. The remaining top 10 hikes in the world, according to that list, feature treks across the U.S. and Canada, New Zealand, Peru, South Africa, Nepal, Tasmania, and the Alps. And if you're interested in the full list, I know Laura is, and probably others of you as well, come find me during coffee, and I'll show it to you. West Coast Trail, number one best hike in the world. The trail is extremely rugged, varied, and stunning. Completing the trail from its north end to its south end is one of the most physically challenging things I've ever accomplished in my life. Now, in a few minutes, I'm going to ask those of you who are under the age of 18, although we don't have very many of those folks here today, do we? I saw Thalia. I'm going to ask you, Thalia. (laughs) Okay, we're just going to ask anybody. Ask anybody, Thalia included, some questions. So listen to this description. On this 47-mile hike, in order to cross some rivers and streams, my backpacking partner Kimberly and I had to self-power four suspension cable cars. So these are things where you're standing on the platform and you sort of pulley system the cable car over to your platform. It's just big enough for two people and their packs. And then you ride out into the middle of the river. And then you have to pull yourself over to the other side. It's awesome. Four of them. Uh, We had to balance on fallen logs. We had to carefully navigate stepping stones and wading through rushing waters. We had to correctly read tide charts and time our hiking accordingly. And we had to cross 130 bridges. Twice, like all other hikers, we needed to board a boat and members of the local First Nation ferry backpackers across two very large and impassable rivers. Wikipedia confirms that the trail includes around three dozen ladder structures, several of them 30 feet high or more. So here's a question for some, I was going to say older than 18, but anyone. So how high is 30 feet? Who's got a good sense of of that kind of thing? I'm looking at Carl in the back or who's, ceiling? Okay, so we've got approximately the ceiling for 30 feet. Okay, there we go. So that's uh, 36 of those ladder structures. Another site said there were 70 ladders, but, you know, 70 ladders, 36 ladder structures, whatever. What I do know is that we're not just talking about step stools here. And the tallest ladder structure is to get across Kulite Creek. 
It's 200 feet on both sides of the creek. So take that 30 feet and go seven of those on top of one another. And it's up across the creek on the suspension cable car and down again. So all of that is carrying one's backpack, of course, which is packed for a week-long trip. And while Wikipedia may be able to confirm some of the facts as well as Wikipedia can ever confirm anything resembling a fact, I can confirm, subjectively speaking, that it was a lot of ladder. We were warned before starting this trek that we better be able to get ourselves out again. There are no access points along the 47-mile stretch. Each year, an emergency or two demands that a hiker get airlifted out, but you really don't want to be the one who's causing that sort of scene, so you got to get yourselves out. No stores, no places to pick up supplies, and so Kimberly and I had to pack our packs filled with all that we would need for the six- to seven-day trek, and it rained every day. And it was also one of the best adventures of my life. So here's the question that I was going to ask the younger people, but we're just going to ask anybody. Do you think I carried my sewing machine? (laughs) How about a television? Watch all my favorite Netflix shows. No, what do you think I carried? Some of you have done this. You've done your versions of it. What did I carry? A sewing kit. Well, yeah, at least a, a patch kit, maybe, for tent or... Sleeping bag. Sleeping bag, yeah. Tent. tent. Food. Food. Mm-hmm. Water. Water, mm-hmm. What else? Because, of course, did I carry water for seven days? No. Nope. Stone. So I had a stone? Stone. Stove, yes. Stove to either boil water or a filtration system to filter water so I could keep drinking the whole way long. Yeah. What's that? Medical kit. Medical kit, yep. First aid supplies for sure. Blister supplies, definitely. (laughs) What's that? Playing cards. Oh, that would be a great idea. I don't think we actually did. But yeah, that's that's sort of worth the wait. <laughs> a book. Did I have a book? We definitely had... Um, I don't think we had a book even. Um, we definitely had the tide charts and some information. Stuff that we really kind of needed. What's that? A compass. Yeah. Lots and lots of good stuff. So one of the things that was mentioned, of course, was food. So let's think about that food for a minute. So you imagine what you had for breakfast this morning. Imagine it sitting on your table at home. And multiply that by seven. Then add seven lunches. Then add seven dinners. Seven of them. So you can see the table now loaded, piled up with food. Now imagine taking all of that and throwing it into a backpack along with all that other stuff that we just mentioned and carrying it around for a whole week. So did I bring giant bottles of pop? Cakes, big bags of chocolates, candies, gallons of ice cream. No, of course not. So what kinds of food did I bring? And I'm not talking necessarily about the specific food items, but what are the things you look for when you're packing your food in a backpack? Oatmeal. Oatmeal? Yeah, why oatmeal, though? 
It's dry. Jerky. Freeze-dried meals. Freeze meals, yeah. What are the other qualities? So freeze-dried would be because it's light, right? Takes up less space. Compact. Protein. Protein, so nutrient-rich. You need nutrient-rich, compact food. Any other qualities of food you feel like you want to shout out? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Isaiah isn't just talking about actual food, although I suspect that may be part of it, but he's talking about spiritual food, about that which feeds us spiritually. And now we're going to shift from the backpacking food as metaphor to another one. It makes me think of my first retreat day as a pastor. It was at the Seneca Retreat Center in Chicago. And I met with Sister Ann Wilder for the first time of many times to come. Sister Ann Wilder, who incidentally then ended up showing up at my ordination service. Of course, I invited her. She received communion from me. It was just such, such a gift of a relationship with her. But that first time, she asked me what I had hoped for the day, and I promptly opened my bag, and I paraded the books that I had brought along. I thought I'd read some of this, and I hoped to read some of that, and I'd like these prayers from this prayer book, and perhaps I'd like to read some of these psalms from this contemporary Psalter. I'd like to ponder this Advent resource, and I've been wanting some more poetry in life, so I brought a book from this favorite poet, and that favorite poet, and maybe dot, dot, dot. And she looked at me thoughtfully, non-judgmentally, nodding her head, and then said, How about just one? (laughs) Just one. How about just one? Her simple question was at once revealing and freeing. How about just one? And I think that my breathing began to deepen almost immediately. It took just that one thoughtful question from Sister Anne, and I knew that I had overpacked for meeting God. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. I don't know the intimate details of each of your spiritual journeys, each of you sitting in this room, and I don't even know if each and every one of you experiences something that you would name a spiritual journey. Maybe you're on some other kind of journey that feels more salient for you right now. Maybe it's a parenting journey or a vocational journey or an educational journey or an aging journey or a retiring journey or a relationship journey, a grieving journey. Maybe you're not certain what your journey is or even if you have one. But whatever the case, I urge you to consider carefully what you will carry with you. If you've seen the movie Up in the Air, it's now like a number of years old. It's George Clooney, who's this corporate motivational speaker. I don't know if any of you remember this. It has this very famous thing about the backpack and imagining the backpack full of things and then setting the backpack on fire. I'm not going to ask you to set your backpack on fire. But I will suggest that as you ponder the journey that you're on, your spiritual journey, or whatever journey it is that is most salient for you right now, 
that you think about how you pack, and you think about packing efficiently. Be discerning. Choose spiritual food that is good and rich. What is it that you most need? Maybe it's a book of poetry, or a prayer book, or a set of pastels, a yoga class, a regular walk, or hike, or exercise practice, a daily five, or 15, or 60-minute time of prayer, meditation, or silence, or being outside with the things that are growing at this time of year. Choose one, just one. The one that's right for you and delight yourself in rich food for your journey. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, Isaiah goes on, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? It has been a privilege to have been given the gift to learn to know Bob Kaufman in the last years. I'm sure those of you who have learned to know him a little or a lot would say the same. And for those of you who are new or visiting among us, Bob is a beloved member of this community, has been for a long time, is currently in hospice care, um, and will is, is actively dying at this point. Um, he, is, he has not died yet, so far as I know. Um, but is on that journey. And as I said to him and Thelma and one of his sons and daughters-in-law the other day, it didn't take long to see and get to know Bob's intrepid, curious, and faithful spirit. And it didn't take long to grow to respect him immensely. And although he's been more responsive in the past several days, he is still facing his imminent death, a death that will likely come very soon, releasing him into the eternal care of God, his creator a death for which he's been actively preparing for nearly a year. And his sense of clarity of purpose and even readiness to die has been beautiful to behold, countercultural and beautiful. Even as Bob lies in his new hospital bed set up in the middle of their living room, intermittently laboring for breath and then receiving supplemental oxygen, he fully embodies gratitude And grace. One day this week, as I was leaving, he couldn't speak but clearly wanted to, and I told him it was okay because I knew exactly what he wanted to say. And sure enough, two days later, he was able to formulate sentences, and as I was preparing to leave, he said the same thing that he has said to me every time I have visited him in the last two years I'm so glad God sent you to us. And only pray that I will have such grace in my dying days, that those would be the words I would want to speak even as I'm not quite able to communicate. It's profoundly moving to me how he has chosen to allow his body a natural progression toward death and has done so with enduring curiosity, reading theological texts right up until a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> curiosity, gratitude, and grace. That's it. And isn't that enough? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? As Bob's life 
nears its end, he's grown clearer and clearer about rich spiritual food and about that which satisfies. And while we may not be terminally ill ourselves, I do call them to mind the words with which we begin our Lenten season and our Lenten journey every year. Every year we start by hearing, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We are dying. Each one of us is dying. And we are living. Each one of us is living. Both at the very same time. As Mary Oliver writes in one of her many lovely poems, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? And here's another version. Tell me, what is it that God plans to do with your one wild and precious life? May we each in this one wild and precious life embrace something like repentance, something like a turning, the true meaning of repentance being turning, a turning away from that which does not satisfy, that which is not bread, and turning toward God and the delights of rich food that draw us nearer to God. May we be discerning. Pack our packs efficiently. Choose spiritual food that is good and rich and delight ourselves in that rich food for our journeys. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live and die well and live and die and live and live. May it be so.